MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, November 7th, 2023. Today, Trump and his allies plot revenge in a second term. Donald Trump took the stand today and things got heated between the judge and his lawyers. The January 6th rioter that assaulted Officer Hodges has been sentenced to 85 months in prison. New allegations against Tim Ballard tie him to the Utah Attorney General and the Church of Latter-day Saints. And the Justice Department finds multiple Texas Election County websites are not accessible to people with disabilities. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana, how are you today? I am good. And why does that last sentence not surprise me at all? I'm not surprised. (laughs) We are never, ever surprised by voter suppression by the Republicans. Um, Also, there's going to be a B block today uh, of just me going over the potential second term of revenge for Donald Trump. So I'll be doing that later in the show and followed by the good news um, with Dana and I. Also, this Friday... We have a cleanup on all 45 patron happy hour at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And then the following Friday, the 17th, we have the Beans happy hour at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern. So I look forward to that. And um, we have a lot of news to get to today. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up, Trump took the stand today in the New York Attorney General's civil fraud trial. And Pete and I are going to go over that testimony on tomorrow's Clean Up on Aisle 45 podcast. But this story came out last night from Rolling Stone. And I wanted to just sort of set up the cleanup episode and Trump's testimony tomorrow today with this story. As Donald Trump prepared to take the stand in the civil fraud trial that could destroy his business empire, the ex-president and his attorneys settled on a strategy built on spite and unbridled antagonism. According to two sources familiar with the matter and another person briefed on Team Trump's legal strategies, Trump and his lawyers want to intentionally provoke the judge into a nuclear level overreaction. They certainly seem to be carrying out the plan on Monday. Trump dodged questions and ranted about his haters while on the witness stand, leading Judge Arthur Engeron to scold him repeatedly and push the former president's attorneys to rein in their client. I beseech you to control him if you can. Engeron implored, if you can't, I will. I will excuse him and draw every negative inference that I can. An explosive response from Engeron could include ordering Trump to be remanded to jail for the night. Uh, The judge in the case had already imposed a gag order on Trump, warning him to refrain from attacks on the judge's staff. And late last week, the order was expanded to include Trump's attorneys. Trump has still shown a brazen willingness to violate it repeatedly. And as as bizarre as it may sound, there are attorneys and political advisors to Trump who have told the former president that a so-called remand order to put him in custody for repeatedly breaching the judge's rulings might be a good thing both legally and politically. The ex-president's legal advisors had long ago told Trump that his chances of winning at trial are close to zero, hence their scorched-earth, fire-festival-style courtroom performances. According to three sources, several Trump attorneys and other key allies have advised him that the more the New York judge supposedly overreacts, including perhaps remanding Trump, the better their case for an appeal will be. Quote, I call it the Chicago 7 disruption strategy. That's what Alan Dershowitz, Captain Underpants, said about this trial and told that to Rolling Stone. (laughs) 
When a defendant honestly believes he can't possibly get a fair trial from the judge, one of the tactics is to antagonize the judge to a point of causing reversible errors. That's what Dershowitz told Rolling Stone. That's what happened in the Chicago 7 case, and I was one of the lawyers on the appeal in that case. Abby Hoffman provoked Judge Hoffman to such a degree that the judge made mistake after mistake, and courts of appeal often reverse convictions on verdicts or verdicts when the judge has made serious errors. That's, again, Dershowitz. In recent weeks, the former president and some of his lawyers in the New York civil fraud trial have discussed the likelihood of Angoran very aggressively responding to Trump's team strategy of relentless hostility and defiance. The tactics have included attacks on Angoran's court clerk, filibustering the prosecution's witnesses with repetitive questions and raising legal arguments that the judge has already specifically prohibited. Uh, This has included Trump asking his legal advisors if the judge would or could actually go so far as to send him to jail. And that's according to sources. Trump's been told such an order is probably unlikely, though Angoran has publicly put the option on the table. This is one reason why Trump and his counselors have kept up with their brazen strategy of infuriating a judge who has openly threatened the former president with possible jail time. The legal team has further assured Trump that even if he were remanded, they would likely be able to deploy a variety of legal tactics to keep him from spending any time actually behind bars. According to two other sources with knowledge of the situation, some Trump advisors have already reached out to certain outside attorneys to see if those lawyers would be interested in joining that potential fight to keep Trump out of jail. Uh, Some of those lawyers, by the way, have preemptively turned Team Trump down. (laughs) In addition, there have been recent conversations among some of Trump's 2024 campaign brass of how much of an immediate fundraising boost they would enjoy if a New York judge were to try to put Trump in a jail cell for even a minute. All the cash in the world, one Trump political advisor says. In the course of the New York civil trial of Trump and his eponymous real estate organization, Judge Angoran has been visibly enraged by the behavior of the ex-president and his lawyers. Uh, this has resulted in a limited gag order following Trump's derogatory remarks about Angoran's law clerk, as well as expensive sanctions on both the legal team and Trump. I don't think they're very expensive, 5000 and $10,000. Yeah, no. Angoran has made it clear that if Trump continues to flagrantly violate his gag order, he might take severe action, including maybe remanding him to jail. Last week, the judge said he he and his office have been flooded with hundreds of examples of harassment and threats. Trump's been uh, surrounded by lawyers who for years have begged him to show restraint or caution. In this case, he is buttressed by attorneys who appear to be more than willing to join his preferred public relations, legal and political tactics of innuendo and mudslinging. In just the past few weeks, Trump's attorneys uh, have variously suggested that his former accountant may have mental health issues and accused his former attorney, Michael Cohen, of perjury. On Friday, Chris Keyes, that's Trump's lead attorney in the case, appeared to test the judge's patience by once again attacking his court clerk, Allison Greenfield, with claims about her excessive political donations from a Wisconsin man who describes himself as applying the 69th Amendment on the Internet in his Twitter bio. Kyes flagged a Breitbart article that claimed raises sorry, questions geez. of... Imp- imp- <laughs> what a fucking moron. Keep, go- keep going. <laughs> He flagged a Breitbart article that claimed raises questions of impartiality against Trump. The article describes a complaint made by Brock Frieden, who was frequently attacking Engeron and his clerk with crass insults on social media. Frieden's attacks have previously helped to land Trump in trouble with Judge Angoron when he posted a screenshot of the man's Twitter account insulting Greenfield on his true social platform. That move earned Trump a gag order and a warning from the judge to steer clear of insulting his court staff. While Trump's attorney stoked the judge's ire, it's unclear how far Engeron would likely go with Trump himself should he continue to ignore the gag order against him. Various lawyers, including some retained by Trump, privately concede that if Trump were an ordinary citizen, he likely would have been remanded by now for his behavior. 
But Trump is not an ordinary citizen. His position as the 2024 GOP presidential frontrunner and leader of the GOP would make any decision to impose jail time, even if brief, extremely politically fraught. Uh, I wanted y'all to have that story before you hear the cleanup episode tomorrow. This is going to be so good. Thank you, AG. This one's from ABC4 in Utah. New allegations have come to light in recent legal filing against Tim Ballard regarding accusations of sexual misconduct. An embedded complaint claims he reportedly had a closer relationship with Attorney General Sean Hayes and the LDS Church than was previously believed. Last month, Tim Ballard, former CEO and founder of the anti-sex trafficking nonprofit operation Underground Railroad, otherwise known as OUR, was involved in a lawsuit issued by the attorneys of five women who alleged he manipulated and sexually assaulted them while under the guise of fighting human trafficking. A second lawsuit was filed days later representing a married couple with similar complaints. Now, the amended complaint was filed by attorney Suzette Rasmussen and her colleagues who allegedly claimed Reyes worked with OUR, O-U-R, to preempt fraud accusations against Ballard and intimidate those who filed them. In addition, the filing also reportedly claims that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints provided OUR with tithing records in order to assist the nonprofit in targeting wealthy donors of LDS faith. Now, included in exhibits and facts were allegations that Glenn Beck, acting as a friend and business partner, had reached out to high-ranking members of the LDS Church, Attorney General Reyes and Senator Mike Lee, seeking advice and direction following the media reports that Church had denounced any connection to or support for Tim Ballard and his practices calling them morally unacceptable. Well, the amendment also brought to light a letter from attorney Brent Andrewson representing OUR to the attorney general's office seeking retribution and investigation of Davis County District Attorney Troy Rawlings and his investigation into Tim Ballard and OUR amid previous complaints made in 2020. Well, ABC4 has reached out to Senator Mike Lee's office and the LDS Church for comments. And at the time of publication, they have not responded to the inquiry. Hmm. Interesting. So they were trying to get the attorney general to go after their political opponents. That's weird. Sure sounds like it. Do you think Jim Jordan will investigate that in his weaponization committee? No. No. Next up from Ryan Riley at NBC, a January 6th rioter who ripped at an officer's gas mask during the brutal battle in the Lower West Tunnel leading into the Capitol uh, was sentenced to more than seven years in federal prison on Friday. Stephen Capuccio was sentenced to 85 months in prison during a sentencing hearing before U.S. District Judge Trevor Trevor McFadden, a Donald Trump appointee. The government had sought more than 10 years in federal prison, saying the sadistic cruelty of Capuccio's attack on Officer Daniel Hodges warranted a lengthy sentence. Quote, how do you like me now, motherfucker? That's what Capuccio screamed during the attack. How do you like me now? He stuck his phone in his mouth. Video presented at trial shows this so that he could use both hands to attack Officer Hodges. Hodges had to seek medical attention after the attack and had an MRI. Footage of the attack on him in the Capitol Tunnel played prominently in the January 6th committee's public hearings. Capuccio, a veteran, claimed ahead of sentencing that PTSD was part responsible for his actions that day. I I have PTSD. And I did not say, how do you like me now, motherfucker, and put my phone in my mouth and rip an officer's gas mask off while he's being squoezed to death in a door. Uh, I didn't do that. Um, but Hodges, who is also a veteran, struck back at that claim in a statement to court. And here that I love this. Thank you. This, uh, just hats off to Dan. Yeah, it's a beautiful quote. Quote, I'm curious at what point did his mental health condition allegedly take all agency away from his rational mind? Did it seize him before he drove 1600 miles from his home in Texas to the Capitol? 
or only partway when he stopped to buy goggles for his peaceful First Amendment assembly? Was he in control when he trespassed onto the Capitol grounds after Trump instructed him to march there? When he moved through the mob, pushing his way through the vanguard of the assault and fought to break our defenses? When did he regain his senses? Was it before or after he tried to kill me? Unquote. Capuccio appeared in court in an orange jumpsuit, having been committed into custody following his conviction earlier this year. Earlier in the day, Capuccio's co-defendant, Trump appointee Federico Klein, was sentenced to nearly six years in federal prison for taking part in the assaults. We talked about that in yesterday's Beans. More than 1,100 defendants have been arrested in connection with the Capitol attack, and more than 400 have been sentenced to periods of incarceration. All right. Thank you so much, A.G. And last in this segment, this is from the Department of Justice website. Well, the the Justice Department announced today its findings that four Texas counties violated Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act, or as we know, the ADA, by maintaining election websites that discriminate against individuals with vision or manual disabilities. Well, in public letters issued to Colorado County, Reynolds County, Smith County, and Upton County, The department details its findings following its investigation and asked the counties to work with Civil Rights Division and the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern, Northern, Southern, and Western Districts of Texas to resolve the identified civil rights violations. And I quote, voting is fundamental to American democracy. This is from Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark of the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division. And she went on to say, it's imperative that all eligible voters with disabilities across the country have the information they need to access the ballot and exercise their right to vote in a state and federal elections. Now, the election websites for these four Texas counties provide important information about how to vote, such as registration requirements, identification requirements, which they change all the fucking time, and voting information for people with disabilities. Now, the websites also link to other critical information, including details about early voting and voting on Election Day. Important stuff. Well, the department found that the websites are not accessible to individuals who are blind or have low vision or who cannot grasp a mouse and use screen readers, keyboards, or other assistive technology. For example, on all four of the election websites, menus and links, they do not function properly for people who use a keyboard to navigate, and posted documents are inaccessible to people who use assistive technologies. Well, because the election websites are inaccessible, the counties deny people with vision and manual disabilities equal access to election programs and online services provided through these websites and failed to ensure effective communication with people with disabilities. Hmm. These four investigations, they're part of the department's ADA voting initiative, by the way, which focuses on protecting the voting rights of individuals with disabilities. And like you said, it's not surprising that Texas is doing everything they can to make sure that they actually suppress the vote. Yep. Four counties uh, all across Texas. There's probably more, um, but I'm glad that the Department of Justice is on this. All right, we need to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with a story from The Washington Post about how Trump and his allies are plotting revenge uh, and the, the control of the Justice Department in a second term. I thought that was an important story I should bring to you. And then after that, we'll have the good news, but we have to take a quick break. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I really wanted to share this story with you. It's a little bit of a long one, uh, but it's very, very important, very prescient, and uh, hopefully will help uh, motivate us to all bring somebody with us to the polls, reach out to our family, our friends, make sure that they know how important this election is. This is from Isaac uh, Arnsdorf, Josh Dawsey, and Devlin Barrett at the Washington Post. It's called Trump Trump and Allies Plot Revenge, Justice Department Control, 
in a second term. And the lead here is advisors have also discussed deploying the military to quell potential unrest on Inauguration Day. Critics have called ideas under consideration dangerous and unconstitutional. It says Donald Trump and his allies have begun mapping out specific plans for using the federal government to punish critics and opponents should he win a second term with the former president naming individuals he wants to investigate or prosecute and his associates drafting plans to potentially invoke the Insurrection Act on his first day in office to allow him to deploy the military against civil demonstrations. In private, Trump has told his advisors and friends in recent months that he wants the Justice Department to investigate one-time officials and allies who have become critical of his time in office, including his former chief of staff, John Kelly, and the former attorney general, William Barr, as well as his ex-attorney, Ty Cobb, former Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman General Mark Milley. And that's all according to people who have talked to him, who, like others, spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe private conversations. Trump has also talked of prosecuting officials at the FBI and the Justice Department. In public, Trump has vowed to appoint a special prosecutor to, quote, go after President Biden and his family. The former president has frequently made corruption accusations against them that are not supported by any available evidence. To facilitate Trump's ability to direct Justice Department actions, his associates have been drafting plans to dispense with 50 years of policy and practice intended to shield criminal prosecutions from political considerations. Critics have called such ideas dangerous and unconstitutional. I call them fascist. Quote, it would resemble a banana republic if people came into office and started going after their opponents willy-nilly. That's uh, Perkash, a constitutional law professor at the University of Virginia who studies executive power. It's hardly something we should aspire to. Much of the planning for a second term has been unofficially outsourced to a partnership of right-wing think tanks in Washington dubbed Project 2025. I went over this on the beans a while back. The group is developing a plan to include a draft executive order or draft executive orders that would deploy the military domestically under the Insurrection Act. That's according to a person involved in those conversations. And the law, last updated in 1871, authorizes the president to deploy the military for domestic law enforcement. The proposal was identified in internal discussions as an immediate priority. That's what the communications showed. In the final year of his presidency, some Trump supporters urged him to invoke the Insurrection Act to put down unrest after the murder of George Floyd in the summer of 2020, but he never did it. Trump has publicly expressed regret about not deploying more federal force and said he would not hesitate to do so in the future. Trump campaign spokesman Steve Chung did not answer questions about specific actions under discussion. Quote, President Trump is focused on crushing his opponents in the primary election and then going on to beat crooked Joe Biden, unquote. He has always stood for law and order and protecting the Constitution. Really? Really, Chung? Because in a recent court filing, he argued that he couldn't be removed from the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment because his oath said to uphold and not protect the Constitution or support, excuse me, the Constitution. So mm, I guess semantically you might be kind of correct, but he has said he does not have to support the Constitution. Anyway, back to the article. The discussion underway uh, reflect the discussions underway reflect Trump's determination to harness the power of the presidency to exact revenge on those who have challenged or criticized him if he returns to the White House. The former president has frequently threatened to take punitive steps against his perceived enemies, arguing that doing so would be justified by the current prosecutions against him. Trump has claimed without evidence that the criminal charges he is facing, a total of 91 across four state and federal indictments, were made up to damage him politically. Quote, this is third world country stuff. Arrest your opponent, Trump said at a campaign stop in New Hampshire in October. 
And that means I can do it, too. Special Counsel Jack Smith, Attorney General Merrick Garland and Joe Biden have all said that Smith's prosecutions, prosecutorial decisions were made independently of the White House in accordance with department rules on special counsels. Trump, the clear polling leader of the GOP race, has made, quote, retribution a central theme of his campaign, seeking to intertwine his own legal defense with a call for payback against perceived slights and offenses to right wing Americans. He repeatedly tells his supporters that he's being persecuted on their behalf and holds out a 2024 victory as a shared redemption at their enemy's expense. Now, it's unclear what alleged crimes or evidence Trump would claim to justify investigating his named targets. Kelly said he would expect Trump to investigate him because since his term as chief of staff ended, he has publicly criticized Trump, including by alleging that he called dead service members suckers and losers. Kelly added, there's no question in my mind he's going to go after people that have turned on him. Barr, another Trump appointee turned critic, has contradicted the former president's false claims about the 2020 election and called him a very petty individual who will always put his interests ahead of the country's. Asked about Trump's interest in prosecuting him, Barr deadpanned, I'm quivering in my boots. Trump himself is more likely to rot in jail than anyone than anyone on his alleged list. That's what Ty Cobb said, who accused Trump of stifling truth, making threats and bullying weaklings into doing his bidding. Milley didn't have a comment. Other modern presidents since the Watergate scandal, when Richard M. Nixon tried to suppress the FBI's investigation into his campaign spying and sabotage against Democrats, have sought to separate politics from law enforcement. Presidents of both parties have imposed a White House policy restricting communications with prosecutors. An effort under the G.W. Bush administration to remove U.S. attorneys for political reasons led to high-level resignations and a criminal investigation. Rod Rosenstein, the Trump-appointed deputy attorney general who oversaw the investigation by Bob Mueller into Russian interference, said a politically ordered prosecution would violate the 14th Amendment's guarantee of equal protection under the law and could cause judges to dismiss the charges. That constitutional defense has rarely been raised in U.S. history. Quote, making prosecutorial decisions in a nonpartisan manner is essential to democracy. That's what Rod Rosenstein said. Whatever, dude. The White House should not be meddling in individual cases for political reasons. That is all you did during your... You know what? I'm going to let it lie. But Trump allies such as Russ Vaught, his former budget director who now leads the Center for Renewing America, which are, are actively repudiating the modern tradition of a measure of independence for the Department of Justice, argues that such independence is not based in law or the Constitution. Vaught is in regular contact with Trump and would be expected to hold a major position in a second term. Quote, you don't need a statutory change at all. You need a mindset change, he said. You need an attorney general and a White House counsel's office that don't view themselves as trying to protect the department from the president. Now, as president, Kelly said, Trump would often suggest prosecuting his political enemies or at least having the FBI investigate them. Kelly said he would not pass along the request to the Justice Department, but would alert the White House counsel's office. Usually they would ignore the orders, he said, and wait for Trump to move on. In a second term, Trump's aides could respond to such requests quite differently. Quote, the lesson the former president learned from his first term is don't put guys like me in these jobs. That's what Kelly said. The lesson he learned was to find sycophants. Although aides have worked on plans for some other agencies, Trump has taken a particular interest in the Justice Department. In conversations about a potential second term, Trump has made picking an attorney general his number one priority. Given his recent trials and tribulations, one would think he's going to pick the plan, pick up the plan for the Department of Justice before doing some light reading of a 500 page white paper on reforming the EPA. That's what Matt Mowers, a former Trump White House advisor, said. Jeffrey Clark, a fellow at Vought's think tank, is leading the work on the Insurrection Act Project 2025. 
Now, the Post has reported that Clark is one of six unnamed co-conspirators whose actions are described in Trump's indictment in the federal election interference case. Clark was also charged in Fulton County, Georgia, with violating the state anti-racketeering law and attempting to create a false statement as part of the district attorney's case, accusing Trump and his co-conspirators of interfering in the 2020 election. Clark has pled not guilty. As a Justice Department official after the 2020 election, Jeffrey Clark pressured supervisors to investigate non-existent election crimes and to encourage state officials to submit phony certificates to the Electoral College. That's according to the indictment. In one conversation described in the federal indictment, a deputy White House counsel warned Clark that Trump's refusing to leave office would lead to riots in every major city. Clark responded, according to the indictment, that's why there's an insurrection act. Now, Clark had dinner with Trump during a visit to his Bedminster, New Jersey, golf club this past summer. He also went to Mar-a-Lago on Wednesday for a screening of a new Dinesh D'Souza movie that uses falsehoods, misleading interviews and dramatizations to allege federal persecution of January 6th rioters and Christians. Also attending were fringe allies such as Steve Bannon, Roger Stone, Laura Loomer and Mike Flynn. Quote, I think that the supposedly independent DOJ is an illusion. That's what Jeff Clark said in an interview. Through a spokeswoman, he did not respond to follow-up questions about his work on the Insurrection Act. Clark's involvement with Project 2025 has alarmed some other conservative lawyers who view him as an unqualified choice to take a senior leadership role at the department. That's according to a conservative lawyer who spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe private chats. Project 2025 comprises 75 groups in a collaboration organized by the Heritage Foundation. Project 2025 director Paul Dans stood by Jeff Clark in a statement. Quote, we're grateful for Jeff Clark's willingness to share his insights from having worked at high levels in his government, in the government during trying times, he said. Uh, after online publication of this story, Rob Bluey, a heritage spokesman, said there are no plans within Project 2025 related to the Insurrection Act or targeting political enemies. <laughs> OK, now there's heated debate in conservative legal circles about how to interact with Trump as the likely nominee. Many in Trump's circle have disparaged what they view as institutionalist Republican lawyers, particularly those associated with the Federalist Society. Some Trump advisors consider these individuals too soft and accommodating to make the kind of changes within the agencies they want to see happen in a second Trump term. Trump has told his advisors he's looking for lawyers who are loyal to him to serve in a second term, complaining about his White House counsel's office unwillingness to go along with some of his ideas in his first term or help him in his bid to overturn the 2020 election. In repeated comments to advisors and lawyers around him, Trump has said his biggest regerts were naming Jeff Sessions and Bill Barr as his attorneys general and uh, listening to others. He often cites the Federalist Society who want him to name lawyers with impressive pedigrees and Ivy League credentials to senior Justice Department positions. He has mentioned to several lawyers who have defended him on TV or attacked Biden that they would be a good candidate for attorney general. Now, the overall vision that Trump, his campaign and outside allies are now discussing for a second term would differ from his first term uh, in terms of how quickly and forcefully officials would move to evacuate his, or move to execute his orders. Alumni involved in the current planning generally fault a slow start, bureaucratic resistance and litigation for hindering the president's agenda in his first term. And they are determined to avoid those hurdles if given a second chance by concentrating more power in the West Wing and selecting appointees who will carry out Trump's demands. These groups are in discussions with Trump's campaign advisors and occasionally the candidate himself, sometimes circulating policy papers or draft executive orders. And that's according to people familiar. Quote, no one is opposed to them putting together ideas, but it's not us. That's a campaign advisor. These groups say they'll have the whole transition planned. Some of those people, I'm sure, are good and Trump will appoint, 
but it's not what's on his mind right now. I'm sure he'd be fine with some of their orders. Now, Trump's core group of West Wing advisors for a second term is widely expected to include Stephen Miller, the architect of Trump's hardline immigration policies, including family separation, who has gone on to challenge Biden administration policies in court through a conservative organization called America First Legal. Miller did not respond to requests for comment. Alumni have also saved lists of previous appointees who would not be welcome in a second Trump administration, as well as career officers they viewed as uncooperative and would seek to fire based on an executive order to weaken civil service protections. For other appointments, Trump would be able to draw on lineups of personnel prepared by Project 2025. Dan's, a former official of personnel management chief of staff, or excuse me, a former office of personnel management chief of staff, that's the OPM, that's where Johnny McEntee worked, likened the database to a conservative LinkedIn, allowing applicants to present their resumes on public profiles, while also providing a shared workspace for heritage and partner organizations to vet the candidates and make recommendations. Quote, we don't want careerists. We don't want people here who are opportunists, he said. We want conservative warriors. So that is the piece. In the Washington Post um, this week about a second possible Trump term. Um, again, it's uh, Arnsdorf, Dawsey, and Barrett. Uh, in a related story, um, I have sued former President Donald Trump and the Department of Veterans Affairs for violating my First Amendment rights and conspiracy and a few other things. Uh, I haven't really put that out to the public, but I may just do that because found out, I think few hours ago that Donald Trump's actually been served with that lawsuit. So I might be somebody he would go after in a second term. So please vote so that he doesn't. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, everybody, we'll be right back with the good news. Stick around. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play What the Hell is in That Shell, or What the Heck Wine, or Cat Me If You Can, or What the Mutt, or Opine on the Bovine. I mean, so oh my God, seriously. If you have an animal that you want us to guess, that's basically our job at this point. Really, we don't host a podcast. We are animal guessers for breeds. Yes. And you know what would be better if, if we just guess what kind of animal it was? I mean, <laughs> True. Oh my God. Could you, I know. That's a horse. I think we got that one right. People start sending in like pygmy marmosets and shit trying to stump us. That'd be fun. Just guess the animal, whatever, anything you want to send us a shout out to a loved one, a small business in your area, an adoptable pet in your area. If you can't pay pod pet tax, um, shit kids say, shit you say, whoopee stories, blanky stories, stuffed animal stories, anything you want to send us your happy place, do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up from Jeanette, pronoun she and her. When I first started listening to your podcast, I thought good news was something to skip over. Who has time for good news? Since then, I realized it's exactly what I need every day. So thank you. A laugh might help in these days of awful news. I have a contribution to what kids say. It's my husband, but same thing. After 20 years of marriage, there aren't a lot of surprises left. But one day I walked into the <laughs> kitchen and he was making salsa and I heard him singing, Nacho, Nacho Man, I want to be a Nacho Man. Had I been drinking, I would have literally spit it out. Here's a what, of course, is this horse note. Oh, I like that. 
I had a chance for riding lessons with an Olympic coach. As I was sitting on my horse discussing goals before the lesson, one of the barn cats, apparently named aptly named Dennis the Menace, decided he needed attention and tried to jump up to see me. Of course, he dug his talons into my horse's bum, causing the horse to buck into the air and send me flying. Riding arena dirt tastes exactly like you might imagine. This incident made me an international dressage star, so I don't mind. The breed of horse should be easy. Lastly, pet tax. This is Gary. He hung out in my yard for a year until uh, one freezing winter when something tried to eat him and he managed to get back to my house to ask for help. After tail amputation and a frightening amount of vet bills, he's in our house living his best life. Thank you so much for doing what you do. All right, let's look at this horse. First of all, Jeanette, this photo of you on the horse, I'm assuming, is beautiful. It's majestic. Yes, absolutely. That looks like a thoroughbred. Beautiful. Is that a kind of horse? Yes. Is that a kind of horse? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a thoroughbred. <laughs> Is that a kind of horse? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure you're right. And here's Gary. Oh, look at Gary. <gasps> oh, Gary's cute, little shape bum. What a beautiful baby. Oh. Oh, Gary. Horse breed. Oh, so great. All right, horse breed. Yep, thoroughbred. Dun, 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 there you dun. go. You got it. Telling you that in Clydesdale, I think, is the only thing I recognize. And I'm not even sure if Clydesdale is like the actual breed, but it is. I think I'd recognize it that. Or miniature. I bet I could recognize a miniature horse. Tiny okay. horse. It's a, it's a little Tiny Sebastian. Horse. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Moving on. This is from Janine C. No pronouns given. I love all your podcasts with all my heart. It's how I start every day, except Saturdays. Just a minor pronunciation of the place Henrico, which you pronounced... Henrico, which I just did. It's actually Henrico. Okay. So thank you. This is Henrico. And your story about purge voters was interesting because I've been working early voting in Henrico at the Western Government Center since September 22nd. Janine, thank you so much. Fun fact, it's the second oldest settlement after Jamestown in a British North America dating 1611 called, I'm assuming, Henricus, if I've learned anything from the submission. Now, come visit anytime. I'll show you. It's probably not. I'll show you around and take you all the breweries, wineries, and amazing restaurants. Okay. You, oh, you buried the lead on this story. I know. Uh, you're amazing badasses who help me start every day. Thank you, Janine, and thank you for all you're doing with this election. All right. Second oldest settlement, 1611. I think Jamestown was 1607. If memory serves. Thank you for that. Look at you. Show off. Uh, it's pro It could be wrong. Um, we'll, we'll know. We'll get a correction. Next up from Mark, pronouns he and him. Hello, AG and DG. I own a winery in eastern Washington named Liberty Lake Wine Cellars. Liberty Lake Wine Cellars. Okay, so now that's, the, that's the end of the story. Let's yep. go. We're getting in a car. Yep. That's the end. The end. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> and I was able to finally purchase a new truck last year for hauling grapes. It had all of the technology for road trips, such as being able to hook it up to your phone. Knowing that I had some serious windshield time ahead of me, I decided to see what podcasts were all about. Yes, behind the times, I know. Somehow I found news was swearing, and here we are as a daily listener of The Beans some months later. It's been a good year at the winery so far. Sales are up. We're named a 2023 Washington State Winery of the Year by the Washington State Wine Awards. Hell yeah. Best of all, I got to finally quit my day job to become a full-time winemaker in April. Woo-hoo. I wanted to write in because in August, I received a random email requesting a product donation from an organization named HRC. We get daily requests for donations, but this organization name really rung a bell. Sure enough, it was the human rights campaign that Dana fundraises for. So for all the Daily Beans listeners out there in the Seattle area, the HRC annual dinner is on November 11th yes. of this year. And there will be a case of wine from me 
that have all received 90 plus scores from wine enthusiasts, including their highest scoring Carmineer from North America and three named an editor's choice, three times named. Let's bid that shit up and raise money for a good cause. You won't be disappointed. For pet tax, I've included a picture of our cat, Psalm. Uh, I must, I, I'm guessing that's short for sommelier. I don't know. And this is him as a kitten a few years back, sporting his new Pete Buttigieg collar. Look at this Russian blue baby. Oh, beautiful. Hers for Pete. And oh, look at these here. labels. These are beautiful. Oh, my God. So, Mark, I'm actually going to be at the gala. I, I'm in charge of do, doing the comedy, the money raise, and the live auction. However, comma, now that I know this, I'm going to tell everyone I talk to to bid up this wine because it's delicious, as you have said. So I love that you gave this submission. I, I hope it makes a lot of money for the organization. Thank you for your generosity. Yeah. And Mark, if you're at the gala, say hi to Dana for me. Give oh, yeah. Hand. If you're at the gala, definitely come say hi to me, please. Amazing. I love when the Beans listeners come say hi. All right. This is from Dave and Kim in California. No pronouns given. Hi there, Beans Queens. The good news is we're enjoying our retirement and you two are making it better. Aww. In September and October, my wife Kim and I took a trip of a lifetime visiting many family members and seeing our beautiful country over eight weeks and 10,000 miles. Ooh. We made a clockwise loop from California to Maine, visiting Yellowstone, the Badlands, Niagara Falls, and uh, Acadia, uh, then turned south through Maryland, Tennessee, New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, and Austin, Texas, and back home to California. Wow, wow that sounds amazing. I've been following Mueller, she wrote, since the investigation started and listening to The Daily Bean since I retired a year ago. My wife listens to several podcasts with topics such as gardening and true crime, so wasn't sure if she'd be interested in your show. Since I didn't want to miss it while on the road, I started playing it in the truck while driving, and she loved it. She's now a big fan. Each day when we're driving, Kim would say, let's listen to The Daily Beans. She would be disappointed on the weekends. We want to thank you for your excellent work you do in keeping us informed about the wacky politics, voting concerns, and Christo-fascism movement in the United States. Your show is a required part of our morning now and something we enjoy sharing. And as pet tax, I'm sharing photos of our grand dog, Summer, who's a real sweetheart. Would love your pin on, on what the mud, and since she has not been checked, you must be correct. Uh, we don't know how the scar happened, as it was before her adoption. Oh, but she has a little Harry Potter scar on her side. She does. First of all, I would thanks, say a Ridgeback. Yeah, yeah. Pity. I would say Daffy. some pity. Also, maybe Chihuahua. So adorable. Look at the ears. Oh my gosh, so, so cute. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave and Kim. So that's awesome. Welcome to the family, Kim. What a, that's an awesome, incredible road trip. Man, one of these yeah. days. One of these days. All right, next up from Linda, pronouns she and her. This is our final submission for the day. Hello, Beans Queens. I'm a big fan. I listen to every episode. I want to thank you for both keeping me informed and teaching me all about this crazy world we live in. I especially love the good news segment, and I thought I would share, with my daughter's permission, the title of her master's thesis. She's in the Northeast working on her PhD in social psychology, and I thought you ladies would enjoy this title. Quote, I am kind, I am smart, I am important. The effects of self-affirmation on women's confrontational responses to sexism. Unquote. What a badass thesis. I can't wait to see what her PhD doctoral dissertation will be. I'm so proud of her, and I know she'll make a world of difference in lives of so many students. Thank you, ladies, for making a difference in this world, too. Oh, Linda, thank you very much. Um, and how proud uh, I, I imagine you are. That's so, yes. so very cool. And what a great title. What a great thing to study. 
I love it. Um, thank you, everybody, for sending in your good news today. If you have good news you want to send in, you can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on Contact Virginia, Ohio. It is voting day. Get out and vote. This is the last yes, day. Please go do it. Make your voices heard. Fuck the man. You know, you know the drill. Anyway, yeah. uh, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today, my friend? I do. I got to give a shout out to women's sports. If you follow the NWSL and you know I do, we've got a situation where Allie Krieger, who has retired, and Megan Rapino, who also retired this year, are facing each other in the finals with the o- the OL Reign, which is Megan Rapino's team, against New York Gotham, which is Allie Krieger's team. Now, I'm asking you for women's sports. This is going to be aired on CBS, the finals are on Saturday, November 11th, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Just turn it on. One, it's it's amazing to watch the women play anyway. These are two incredible teams with a lot of national players on them, like U.S. Women's National Team. But they have worked so damn hard. Show them support, watch the games, and you'll get to see two legends retire and play each other in their last professional games. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. My heart swells and I'm so happy for both of them, but it's going to be fucking great. So just tune in. Amazing. I will definitely be tuning into that. I can't wait to see it. Thank you so much, everybody. We will be back in your ears tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your family. Vote blue over Q. And go do it now. Take everyone with you before the polls close. Do it, do it. Get in line, stay in line. They have to let you vote. Uh, vote blue recue take everyone with you uh, take everyone with you I've been AG I'm trying to remember what's next <laughs> I mean I've only done this a million times that's all right I've been DG and them's the beans the daily beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel reader with Moxie design studios music for the daily beans is written and performed by they might be giants And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes and they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. 
expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is lawyers, guns, and money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.